Good morning and welcome to Christ Central Online. My name is Owen. I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Thank you for joining us this morning. Now, if you're watching this service via our church website or our uh, church Facebook page, I want you to uh, use the chat feature. If you have any questions about this sermon or any questions about the service in general, please feel free to ask your questions there. We have people in place who are going to be happy to interact with you and answer any questions that you might have. Well, last Sunday, we started a new year-long sermon series on the Gospel of Luke, which we're calling Following Jesus Through the Book of Luke. We're basically going to follow Jesus around in the book of Luke, and we're going to watch what Jesus does, and we're going to listen to what he says. And as we watch and listen to Jesus, my hope and my prayer is that we'll not only uh, come to see just how beautiful and how compelling Jesus is, but more importantly, that we would have certainty and assurance of the things that we believe, that Jesus really is the Savior and the Lord of the world. Now today's sermon, uh, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, look at the, the beginning of Jesus' story, and we're going to see that the story of Jesus really begins with the story of John. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read from verse 5 to 25. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 25. People of God, this is the word of our God. Would you please give it your careful attention? In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and to burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. <clears throat> and the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. 
And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his house. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. The first two chapters of Luke's gospel are uh, commonly called the infancy narratives or, or the stories of the births of both John and Jesus. Now, there are two important things that I want you to know and, and notice about the first two chapters of Luke. First, the Old Testament context and expectation for the births of John and Jesus. And second, and more importantly, the relationship between John and Jesus. So first, the Old Testament context and expectation for the births of John and Jesus. One Bible commentator put it this way. Luke's infancy narratives throb with the literary and theological pulse of Old Testament expectation. You see, in the Old Testament, God promised that he would send the Messiah. And he also promised that he was going to send someone who was going to be a forerunner to the Messiah, who was going to announce uh, the Messiah's coming and prepare the way for the Messiah. And in his infancy narratives, Luke is showing us that the births of John and Jesus are the very fulfillment of those promises. You see, friends, in the Old Testament, God had promised to save his people and the world. And now, with the births of John and Jesus, God is now finally beginning to fulfill his promises to save his people and the world. Second, I want you to notice the relationship between John and Jesus. You see, in chapters 1 and 2, Luke will compare and contrast John and Jesus by presenting their birth narratives side by side. So in one sense, John and Jesus are similar because they're both sent by God and they're both going to play significant roles in the salvation that God himself will accomplish. But at the very same time, they're very dissimilar. They're very different because John, uh, because Jesus is so much greater and superior to John. Let me give you some examples here. Consider this. John is born of a barren woman, which is amazing. But Jesus will be born of a virgin, which is even more amazing. John is going to be great as a prophet before the Lord, but Jesus is the Lord before whom John stands as a prophet. John will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb, but Jesus will be conceived by the Holy Spirit. John is going to prepare the way, but Jesus is the way. John is the forerunner who announces the coming of the Messiah, while Jesus is the Messiah who is announced and comes. And listen to this, folks. <clears throat> when John is born, his father rejoices. But when Jesus is born, all the angels in heaven sing and rejoice. Friends, both John and Jesus are important in uh, the fulfillment of God's saving promises. But Luke wants you to know Jesus is so much greater than John. Yes, his gospel story begins with John. 
but it's really all about Jesus. You see, uh, Luke introduces John because John will be the person who introduces Jesus to the world later on. And our into three sections. First, uh, the introduction of Zechariah and Elizabeth. Second, the enunciation to Zechariah. And third, the responses of Zechariah and Elizabeth to the enunciation. So first, the introduction of Zechariah and Elizabeth. In verses 5 to 7, we are introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we're also told the historical setting that it was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. History tells us that Herod was uh, king of Judea from 37 BC to 4 BC. That means that it has been more than 400 years since the time of the prophet Malachi, which was the last time that God has spoken to his people through a prophet. For 400 years, God had been silent. For 400 years, God seemed distant, even absent. Had God forgotten his promises? Had God forgotten his people? No, God did not forget. In fact, the name Zechariah means the Lord has remembered. How fitting then that it was to a man whose name literally means the Lord has remembered that God will send his angel to announce that he has remembered his promises and his people. Now Luke tells us three things about Zechariah and Elizabeth. First, in verse 5, uh, we're told that Zechariah is a priest and that Elizabeth is the daughter of a priest. So basically, Zechariah was a pastor, and Elizabeth was not only a pastor's wife, but she was also a pastor's kid. She was a pastor's daughter. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth were the consummate professional ministry couple. Second, in verse 6, we're told that they are both righteous and that they both walk blamelessly before God, keeping all of God's commandments and statutes. Now, did you know that it is possible to be a ministry couple and yet be unrighteous and not walk with the Lord? Unfortunately, this happens more times than we would like to think. You see, it is very possible for people in ministry to work for God while not walking with God. But not Elizabeth and Zechariah. They are a professional ministry couple who not only works for God, but who also walk with God. They loved God. Luke tells us that they were both righteous and that they were blameless. They walked blamelessly before the Lord. Now, that does not mean that they were sinless or, or perfect, but it does mean that they were genuinely godly and that God was pleased with their lives. Third, in verse 7, we're told, and this is the most important detail, that they were childless. Elizabeth is barren, and to make things worse, they're both very old, way past the age of childbearing. Now, this detail of being childless and barren and very old should cause us to think about another well-known couple in the Old Testament who was barren, childless, and old. It makes us think about Abraham and Sarah, doesn't it? And by comparing Zechariah and Elizabeth to Abraham and Sarah, Luke is causing us to wonder, didn't God do something impossible for Abraham and Sarah by giving them a child? 
I wonder if God is going to do it again. I wonder if God is going to, to do the impossible again and give Zechariah and Elizabeth a child. Now, in any culture, uh, infertility is a heartbreaking disappointment. But it was especially painful in Jewish culture because barrenness in Jewish culture wasn't just a disappointment, but it was also a disgrace. You see, in Jewish thinking, if you were righteous, if you were truly righteous, God would bless you with lots of children. So if you were barren, if you weren't able to have children, then people automatically assumed that you must not be righteous, that God must be punishing you for something that you've done. You see, Elizabeth had suffered reproach and shame from the people around her as they talked about her behind her back, saying, Elizabeth probably isn't as righteous as she appears, or else why doesn't she have children? And that's why Elizabeth called her barrenness her reproach in verse 24. But Luke goes out of his way to tell us that both Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous that they were both blamelessly walking before the Lord, keeping his commandments and his statutes. So we know for a fact that Elizabeth's barrenness and her childlessness is not because of sin or a sign of God's punishment or judgment against her. Zechariah and Elizabeth were both righteous and godly. God loved them. And yet... They still suffered. Sometimes the disappointment, the pain, and the suffering in our lives are the direct consequences of our own sinful and foolish choices. Sometimes we can see the causal relationship between our poor choices and the painful things that they cause. For example, if you're a married person and you commit adultery and you lose your marriage and your kids, then uh, the, the pain of losing your family is caused directly by your selfish and sinful choice. But many times, oftentimes, the disappointment and the pains and the suffering in our lives are not caused by anything we did or didn't do. You can be godly and righteous and loved by God and yet experience disappointment, pain, and suffering in your life like Zechariah and Elizabeth did. You see, most of the time, we don't know why God allows suffering to come into our lives. Many times, we, um, our hardest and our most painful suffering is beyond our control, and it can feel so random. Why is a child born with a heart defect? Why is a child born with Down syndrome? Why is a young mother diagnosed with cancer? Why is a middle-aged father pass away from a sudden heart attack? Why is there a global pandemic that has caused so many people to lose work and income? You see, most of the time, we don't know why God allows disappointments and pains and sufferings into our lives, but we do know this. We know that God is sovereign, wise, good, and loving, and that he has his purposes for everything that he ordains. Just because we can't see them, just because we can't see God's reasons, doesn't mean that God doesn't have his reasons. 
And yet, God calls us to trust him, even when, and maybe especially when, life is hard. You know, friends, that is what faith is, to trust that God is sovereign and wise, to trust that God loves us, even when life is hard, even when our lives are not going the way we want our lives to go. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous and godly. They were loved by God, and yet they still suffered and experienced pain in their lives. And so will we, as long as we live in this fallen and broken world. As one Puritan pastor said, if our sufferings drive us nearer to Christ, then they are positive blessings, even though they are painful. Amen. So in verses 5 to 7, Luke introduces us to Zechariah and Elizabeth. In verses 8 to 17, Luke tells us about the Annunciation to Zechariah. Uh, Zechariah was chosen by lot to enter the temple to burn incense and to pray for the people. Because there were so many priests and so few opportunities to go into the temple, there was basically a lottery system that it would just randomly pick a priest who would be given the great privilege and the honor of going into the temple to burn incense and to pray. And the lot, or the lottery, fell on Zechariah because God chose Zechariah. Burning incense in the temple was by far the most prestigious and the greatest honor of his ministry career. Many priests never had the opportunity to do that, and no one got to do it more than once. And so it was while Zechariah was inside the temple burning incense that an angel of the Lord appears to him. Now, by the way, I got to say this, Luke presupposes the reality of the invisible spiritual realm. Luke will write about God, about angels, about Satan, about, about demons throughout his book. Luke assumes that spiritual beings actually exist, that they are very real. So don't get thrown off by the appearance of singing angels or God speaking or Satan tempting Jesus or Jesus casting out demons as you read through the book of Luke. Because you're going to find it all over the place. Because Luke presupposes that the invisible spiritual realm actually exists because it does. Anyway, back to the story. The angel that appeared to Zechariah said in verse 13, Do not be afraid, for your prayer has been heard. Heard. Uh, by the way, I, I love that Zechariah was afraid. I, I love that Zechariah freaked out when he saw an angel. It's not, it's not cool. Zechariah believed in angels, but he still freaked out when he actually saw one. I believe in angels. And if I actually saw an angel, I would freak out too, I think. And so would you, right? So I love it. It's just an honest response from Zechariah. Uh, but what prayer is the uh, angel talking about? What prayer of Zechariah has God heard? Think with me. As the priest who was burning incense inside the temple, he was praying for the redemption of Israel at the moment when the angel appeared to him. Friends, you have to understand, for 400 years, countless priests went into the temple burning countless incenses, praying the same thing. Do you know what they prayed for? They prayed for the redemption of Israel. For 400 years, priest after priest after priest prayed for the redemption of Israel. And yet at the same time, as a man who longed to be a father, Zechariah had also been praying for a child 
for many, many years, for what probably felt like 400 years. So which prayer was the angel talking about? Which prayer of Zechariah had God heard? The angel said, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Here's the beauty of this. God heard both prayers. And God is about to answer both prayers for the redemption of Israel and the prayer for a son with one answer, with John. You see, John's name means God is gracious. God is gracious. So by giving a son named John, a son named God is gracious, God was not only being gracious to Zechariah and Elizabeth, but God was also being gracious to the nation of Israel and to the world. For Zechariah and Elizabeth, John was the grace of God because they needed a son. But for Israel and for the world, John was the grace of God because we needed a Savior. And when God gave John, God was answering both Zechariah's prayer as a father for a son and Zechariah's prayer as a priest for a savior. You know, God had been listening to Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayers for a son for years and years and years. Uh, they prayed so long for a son, it must have felt like 400 years. And God finally answered their prayers for a son. You see, God knows the best time for people to be born, and God also knows the best time for people to be born again. You know, it is heartbreaking not to be able to have children, but it is just as heartbreaking, if not more heartbreaking, to have children who are not born again. And some of you know that pain. You have children, whether teenage children or adult children, who do not know the Lord, who are not walking with Christ. And because you love them so much, because you want so badly for your children to know the love of the Savior, your heart breaks. And like Zechariah and Elizabeth, you've been praying for years and years and years for the salvation of your children, and it feels like you've been praying for 400 years. Or maybe you've been praying for your parents or a sibling or a dear friend, and it feels like you've been praying so long and you wonder, does God even hear these prayers? Friends, today I want to encourage you to keep praying for your children and for your parents and for your siblings and for your friends to be born again. You see, as Zechariah and Elizabeth prayed their whole lives for their children to be born, keep praying that your children may be born again. Don't give up hope because you never know when God will answer your prayers, but you can know this. God hears every single prayer that you pray for new birth. God hears everyone. And in his perfect time, he will answer them. Uh, my friend, Dr. Julius Kim, who's the new president of the Gospel Coalition, told me a great story about the late Dr. Um, Edmund Clowney. 
Uh, Dr. Clowney was my preaching professor at Westminster, and he was one of the godliest and one of the most Christ-centered preachers I ever had the privilege of listening to, knowing, and studying with. He loved Jesus, and he served the church so faithfully and so fruitfully. So many people came to faith in Christ because of his gospel ministry. And yet, one of his own daughters rebelled against the Lord and wanted nothing to do with Jesus and the church. And it was heartbreaking for him and for his wife to see one of their children leave the faith while they were serving so fruitfully in the church. And it broke their hearts, and they prayed for their daughter for years and years and years and years. Now, toward the end of his life, as he suffered from the cancer that would eventually take his life, his daughter saw the way her father endured his suffering with such grace, hope, and peace. Now, when he died, she was still an unbeliever. Dr. Clowney never got to see his daughter come to faith in Jesus. But she was deeply moved and inspired by the way her father faced suffering and death. And because of his example, years later, she eventually came to faith in Jesus. Dr. Clowney never got to see it in his lifetime. Of course, he saw it in heaven. He rejoiced in heaven, but he did not get to see it while he was on earth. So friends, keep praying for your unbelieving children, for your unbelieving parents, for your unbelieving uh, spouses, for your unbelieving siblings, and for your unbelieving friends. Pray that the Holy Spirit would cause them to be born again, and that they might become sons and daughters of God in Jesus Christ. Because who knows when God will answer your prayers. It may be while you're still here, or it may be while you're gone. But friends, know this. God hears all of your prayers for new birth for the people that you love and he will answer them according to his good wise and perfect timing so the angel told Zechariah that he will finally have a son and that his name will be John and that he will be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb now the Old Testament prophets were filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit to do their prophetic work but John is the only person in the New Testament that is filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. What that means is God chose and equipped John to be the greatest and the last Old Testament prophet, the one who would prepare the way uh, for the Messiah, who would call people to repent, to turn from their sins, and to turn to the Lord. Now, before I go to my next point, I want you to notice something, which is, I think, really important in our text. John was filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. That means that John was a person in the womb, created in the image of God, because only people can receive the Holy Spirit. That means all babies in the womb are people who are created in the image of God. Friends, a fetus is not a clump of cells that can be discarded, but a precious human life that must be protected. That means that abortion is sinful, immoral, and unjust. Abortion is the murder and the unjust killing of a human being while growing inside his or her mother's womb. The womb of a mother ought to be the safest place in the world for a baby. But tragically, in the world today, the womb is the most dangerous place 
for a baby, especially in America. According to the World Health Organization, approximately 125,000 babies are killed in the womb through abortion every single day. Let that sit in. That means in one year, every year, 6,500,000 babies are murdered in the womb every year. Abortion is the greatest and the grossest injustice against humanity that is happening in the world right now in our lifetimes. As Christians, we believe that every human life is sacred and precious, and therefore we must work to protect human life from the womb all the way to the tomb. As Christians, we care about justice for all human lives that are vulnerable. That means we want justice for both black lives and we want justice for pre-born lives. So let me be very clear. Abortion is never an option for the Christian except to save the mother's life. But having said that, I also need to say this as your pastor. Some of you have had abortions in the past. And you have struggled with feelings of guilt and shame and condemnation for so long. And you have wondered, can God forgive me for what I've done? And today, I want to tell you that God is merciful and gracious and that God can and does forgive you. The gospel tells us that Jesus shed his blood and died on the cross for the forgiveness of all of our sins, including the sin of abortion. The gospel says that if you put your faith and trust in Jesus, God will forgive all of your sins. The worst and the most shameful thing that you've ever done even having an abortion or pressuring someone to have an abortion, God forgives you and God loves you. Some of you today need to hear that. Today you need to hear that God forgives you and that God loves you. Let that wash over you today. That beautiful gospel truth that no matter what you've done in the past, if you have faith in Jesus, God forgives you, and better, God still loves you. You see, no matter how great your sin may be, God's grace is greater still. Today, if you've been struggling with guilt and shame and condemnation for years and years. Today, I want you to receive and rest in the free forgiveness that God offers you in Jesus Christ. No matter what you've done, God forgives you, and he loves you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Amen. So in verses 5 to 7, we're introduced to Zechariah and Elizabeth. In verses 8 to 17, we hear the angel's annunciation to Zechariah. And finally, in verses 18 to 25, we see the responses of both Zechariah and Elizabeth. In verses 18 to 23, we see Zechariah's response, and his response is one of disbelief. Zechariah cannot believe what the angel just said to him. 
He cannot believe that someone as old as him and as old as his wife could ever have children. And so Zechariah asks for a sign. How shall I know this? He basically says, give me a sign so that I know that what you said will come true. And it is at this point that the angel finally reveals who he is. You see, this angel is just no ordinary angel. This angel is Gabriel himself, the one who stands in the presence of God, the one that God sent to deliver this good news. You see, this is the same Gabriel who appeared to Daniel hundreds of years earlier. And, 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 and Gabriel says, you want a sign? Fine, I'll give you a sign. Here's the sign. You won't be able to talk or say anything until everything that I said comes true. So Zechariah asked for a sign. He got a sign, but it's not the kind of sign that he wanted. You see, friends, Zechariah's inability to speak will be the sign of God's inability to break any of his promises. Everything God promised, he will do. And when everything God said finally happens, then and only then would Zechariah be able to speak again. So the next time we hear Zechariah speak in the Gospel of Luke is when John is born. For nine months, John cannot utter a word. That's the sign. In verses 24 and 25, we see Elizabeth's response, and her response is so different from Zechariah's response, isn't it? You see, where Zechariah responded with doubt— Elizabeth responded with delight. Where Zechariah responded with reluctance, Elizabeth responded with relief. Where Zechariah doubted God, Elizabeth worshiped God. She said in verse 25, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach from among the people. Elizabeth rejoices because God has taken her reproach away. God has taken, uh, God taking the reproach of Elizabeth away is a picture of what God will do for his people when he takes the reproaches of his people away. God's grace toward Elizabeth anticipates God's grace toward Israel and toward the world. Think about this. Elizabeth began our story barren and childless. But by the end of our story, she is pregnant and about to bear fruit. God took her disgrace away by giving her a son. And listen, friends, God has taken away our disgrace, not by giving us a son, but by giving us his son. Because of what Jesus did, we are saved. Because Jesus was crushed on the cross, we are healed. Because Jesus was rejected on the cross, we will be restored to God. Because Jesus was forsaken on the cross, we will be forgiven of all of our sins. Because Jesus was disgraced on the cross, we will be graced. As Elizabeth watched her belly grow, so did her faith and the absolute certainty that everything God had promised will come to pass. She will have a son, and her son will announce the coming of the Messiah. The Savior is coming, and he will take away the reproach and the shame and the sin of everyone who puts their faith in him. So what? Let me wrap this up. I've gone over. What's the takeaway for today? 
as you hear the story, as you hear about John, about how he will be born and how he will point to Jesus, the Savior of the world, my question to you today is this, how will you respond? Will you respond like Zechariah with disbelief and doubt? Or will you respond like Elizabeth with joy and relief and faith and rejoicing and worship? Luke wants you to respond like Elizabeth. He wants you to believe the story that he's writing. Luke wants you to believe that John is the one sent by God who would prepare the way for the Savior of the world. Luke wants you to believe that Jesus is the Savior and the Lord of the world. Now this year, we're going to be thinking about what it means to follow Jesus. It means a lot of things. But it begins with this. Following Jesus begins with believing that Jesus is who Luke says he is, that he is the Savior and the Lord of the world. Now, following Jesus is more than that, but it begins with that. So today I want to ask you, do you want to follow Jesus? If so, it begins with you believing that Jesus is the Son of God, and the Savior of the world, as Luke will tell us so eagerly next Sunday. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for sending John, who will point us to your son Jesus, whom you sent to be the Savior of the world, to be our Savior, so that believing in him, we might have eternal life. Amen. Let's all rise and respond with this.